When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Davro. Kev, what's good, my guy? Chilling, man. Been one hell of a week. Been busy as hell. Playoffs are here, and it's getting it's getting crazy, bro. Oh, but you got an announcement to make. It's a it's a big one too. It, it, indeed, I do. Indeed, I do. I can't really. Uh... Can't really try to tuck it under the rug here. So I know that I had talked about getting a mic a couple of weeks back. Uh, we had some setbacks in terms of by we, I mean myself. I'm very particular. I'm very picky. And, you know, I didn't want to settle on a mic until I felt it was the perfect fit. My brand new mic is coming in tomorrow with a boomstick. So I will be a lot clearer on the audio. But Kyle just alluded to me that I kind of am missing a big piece of the audio, which are the headphones. Um so I kind of fucked up there, but hey, listen, baby steps, okay? We're getting there. Well, we'll, we'll make some adjustments, but I think I think we'll be okay if you use your AirPods. Well, there's a workaround, bro. There's always a loophole, so don't worry. But no, that you're gonna like the setup, bro. I promise you that. I promise you that. So yeah, dude, it's uh, I'm excited. It's like it's funny because um, I had been putting this off for so long that. When I finally pulled the trigger and, you know, sent you that screenshot, I was so hyped. And uh, the missus wants to come into the room, like, after I get the mic all set up, she wants to help me set up, like, one of her old cameras for visual purposes that she's not using right now. And, like, she's going to kind of help me, like, set up some different things to put on the wall. We're going to put my uh, my brother's LED lights around. Not this weekend because she's got some company coming from out of town. But over the next couple of weeks, you're going to start seeing some changes aside from just the microphone. We'll, of course, end up ordering those headphones relatively quick because it's going to be imperative. But the upgrades that I promised are coming a little later than expected. But nevertheless, we're getting there. Sir, you'd love to see it. But um, with that said, uh, we got some topics to hit. Uh, Kevin, you want to go over to the agenda? Yes, sir. So, guys, obviously, playoff basketball is the top of the program every single time, topic of interest every single time. So we got a couple of game sixes coming up. Um, you know, first and foremost, especially for me, Dallas is facing Utah tomorrow night. I don't know why we continue to get these absolute late games, but we have tomorrow's game at 10 p.m. Eastern. We are in Utah, and the Mavs are trying to close it out. Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz had an abysmal night offensively in game five, and the Mavs capitalized and dominated by almost 30. Uh, Donovan Mitchell ends up leaving that game with some injuries, so we will see how that kind of phases into the to the matchup and the situation. He says he's playing, but we don't know to what magnitude he'll be able to, so that'll be the first game. And then secondly, of course, we are going to have the – oh, my God. No, don't do this to me. I, I got this. I got this. Damn it. I had it because I was thinking of the other game, and I just – this is why intros are not my thing. Shit. Oh. Really? No. Oh, damn it. Philly. Game six. Philly. Philly is in Toronto. Actually, no, they're coming back to Philadelphia. Four games. No, they're in Toronto. Dude, I am fucking up horribly this evening. 
Philadelphia looks to avoid a, a, a 3-0 blowout lead or, you know, they're trying to avoid blowing a, a, a 3-0 lead. They have lost two in a row. They're headed back to Toronto for a game six. James Harden has not been playing up to snuff. Joel Embiid has been doing what he can, but it's just not enough. that This youthful Raptors lineup has been proving to be a massive problem for the Philadelphia 76ers. And Doc Rivers' narrative is kind of starting, that, that dark cloud is starting to float over his head yet again because he, I believe he is the, the NBA's leading coach to blow multiple like series leads in playoff history. He would be the first coach to blow a 3-0 lead in the playoffs. So for Philly's sake, they better cross those fingers. <laughs> Otherwise, man, this is going to be – I am mad about it, but you know, this, is, this is about to be a real interesting uh, topic of conversation. And then, of course, at the end of the day, we have the Minnesota and Memphis series that is also going into Game 6. Kyle and I were just talking about this before. This was absolutely insane, the fact that this series actually is going the length that it is. Uh, obviously, Memphis ends up winning Game 5 at the end with John, uh, John Morant going in for a game-winning bucket. But now the series returns back to Minnesota, and we will see if this team can you know, fight back like they have been all series and tie the series and make it go all the way to 7 back to Memphis. And then, of course, to kind of round out the series with the last two topics, the Brooklyn Nets are the only team to have gotten swept this entire postseason. Uh, they lose four straight to Boston. Um, now the thoughts are coming around, does Brooklyn blow it up? Uh, you know, KD obviously did what he could in the game six, or excuse me, game four. Was it enough? He, I mean, he dropped a damn near triple-double, but he did take 31 shots to get those 39 points. Kyrie Irving disappeared pretty much after game one. Ben Simmons is having his situation. Obviously, you know, Goran Dragic came over in free agency. So, I mean, overall, there was quite a bit of movement in Brooklyn this year. Uh, but And then, of course, to kind of, as I mentioned, alluded to earlier, um, Ben Simmons is, he's out. We don't know why. We don't understand what's going on with him. But, uh, you know, some news came out today with, uh, oh, my God, what is it? Jay Williams. Uh, Kyle and I don't necessarily know the context of what it was uh, that was said. We don't necessarily know what he was referring to or who he spoke to. But Jay Williams has changed his tune, and he is saying that we need to support Ben Simmons. Uh, the mental health issues seem to be a lot bigger than what Ben is leading on, and it might actually be causing him some actual deep-rooted issues. Kyle and I will touch on that just a little bit just to give our kind of two thoughts on what that means. But overall, with Ben Simmons missing the entire season and obviously the entire postseason, this leaves Brooklyn fans in question on whether or not he'll be a good fit for this team. And if they do decide to blow it up, will he be on the roster next year as well? So we got a lot to cover here. I know the agenda was a whole lot longer than Kyle normally does it. It's been a while since I've actually been able to kind of go down that line. But, I mean, Kyle, with everything that we just talked about, you ready to get started? Yes, sir. And uh, the first game that we'll go over is like what Kevin mentioned, and that is going to be the Dallas Mavericks uh, going up against the Utah Jazz. Like Kevin already alluded uh, the Mavericks put an absolute beat down on the Jazz in Game Five. They won by the score of 102 to 77. I mean, when you look at it from the Mavs' perspective, I don't think they could have asked for a better performance on the defensive side of the ball to hold the Jazz to under 80 points, especially with the way that they, the game is played today. Um, it's unbelievable that the, the Mavericks were that effective defensively against Utah. Now the series does transition back to Salt Lake City for Game Six. Um, like Kevin had said, uh, Donovan Mitchell's status, as far as his health is concerned, uh, is up in the air. I was dealing with some lingering issues from Game 5. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a trainer in any way, shape, or form. But if 
I had to guess if I had to put my two cents on it, I would probably think that Donovan Mitchell is going to play game six, despite whatever injuries that he's dealing with. But the Utah he said he's playing. But despite the fact, whatever of Donovan's uh, Donovan's status is, um, they're going to need a big performance, not just from Donovan, but from everybody on the Jazz uh, to possibly get this series to seven games. But the Mavericks are looking at this game six. This This is a closeout game for them, potentially. And Luca's back in the fold. He's been pretty effective since he's gotten back into the lineup for the Mavs. Uh, his first game back was game four, and he's been a pivotal piece for Dallas um, through these first two games that he's been back. So all in all, this has been a very competitive series. It's been a very fun one to watch. Um, two evenly matched teams as far as I'm concerned, even though that the Mavs are up uh, 3-2 in this series. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Mavs and the Jazz going into Game 6, who do you favor is going to win and why? Well, for once, I'm actually going to be confident in my team. I like what I've seen recently, excluding um, Game 4, where Luka returned. But for whatever reason, we just got so hell-bent on making jump shots that we kind of lost who we were until later in that fourth quarter when Luka was hitting shots. Um, I'm going to say that we have to rely on penetrating the paint. We're going to have to rely on getting to the free throw line. We're going to have to limit our fouls. Uh, Utah has lived at the free throw line pretty much all series long, but at the same time, we have also gotten their bigs into some decent foul trouble. Rudy Gobert has been relatively uh, a non-factor pretty much most of the series outside of his game-winning basket in game four. Um, Donovan Mitchell has been playing great in the second half over the last couple of games. He is averaging almost 20-something points per game, I want to say 27, 28 during this, this, uh, this series, but obviously last game him being injured and then him not really getting uh, the efficiency from the field that he normally does kind of leads us to wonder how effective he's going to be in this next game. I believe he's dealing with some bruised uh, bruised quads as well as a, a hamstring injury. Uh, from what I've understood, he is playing. But at the end of the day, excuse me, Dallas is going to have to play foot on the gas pedal, throw it on their necks, and just and just and finish the job. We have not won a playoff series since 2011, which was the year we won the finals. Uh, Luca has averaged 30 points per game since returning, and obviously Jalen Brunson has been our superstar outside of Luka Doncic. So if we can just get more contributions from Reggie Bullock like we've been getting, Dorian Finney-Smith has been chasing Donovan Mitchell like a madman, and then of course making sure that we just capitalize on the turnovers that Utah has late in games. If we can just make sure that Donovan Mitchell's having a tough night, and we rely on other people to beat us. It's going to be a good night. Now, I don't expect it to be a blowout by any means like this last game was. I expect Utah to fight. But I will say that this does rely dependently on Jonathan Mitchell's health because without him, they are going to need a first option or another first option to score the basketball. And if that is just solely Jordan Clarkson, I think Utah is going to be in some trouble early on. Kevin, I mean, the way that I look at this series playing out as far as game six is concerned, I, I do agree with you. I do think that Dallas is going to close it out in six games. Um, even though that the Jazz have been competitive in this series, uh, despite the fact that they're down uh, 3-2 at this current moment in time, I-, I just like the momentum that Dallas got from Game 5, and I think it's going to carry uh, carry on into Game 6. So the way that I see it is that, if you look at Game 4 specifically, it, the Mavericks played phenomenal um, on the defensive side of the ball specifically. I mean, they held the Jazz to under 80 points. When you can hold an NBA team to under 80 points with how the game is played in the modern era at this current moment in time, that's extremely impressive. And granted, I know that the Mavericks didn't put up like 120, 130 points, but to win by 25 points in a playoff game, in a pivotal game five, 
uh, that's extremely important. And I think that's something that they could carry on going into game six, just because the momentum is there. They have great pieces to work with. Luka Doncic is back in the fold that he's been, he's been marvelous since he's gotten back into the fold, uh, despite the fact that he missed the first three games of this series. And really the, the star of the series so far for the Mavericks, the way that I see it, it has been Jalen Brunson. He has really shown me leaps and bounds in his game. And despite the fact that Luka was out, uh, he took the responsibility of being the focal piece of the Mavericks when Luka was out. And he's been extremely effective, uh, not only when Luka got back into the fold, but when he was out for those first couple games of the series. So, you know, if Luka and uh, Jalen Brunson can knock down shots consistently, I mean, there's a very good chance that between the two of them, they could get 50, 55 points. And then if they're able to get some decent contributions from uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, Dwight Powell, I think that's definitely going to work in Dallas's favor. But I will say this about Utah, because I, I know Utah's kind of down in the dumps after Game 5 because they just did not have that good of a game. I don't think that the Jazz are going to have a game where they shoot 10% from the three-point line going into Game 6. I just don't see that. They were 3 of 30 in Game 5. That is not going to happen. I do believe that Donovan is going to be a much more uh, focal presence for the Jazz going into Game 6 just because to score 9 points in a pivotal Game 5, I know that does not sit well with him, and I imagine that he's going to be going gangbusters uh, when they go into this Game 6. And I will say this. Kevin, you can attest to this. When those games were played in Salt Lake City in in Games 3 and 4, the atmosphere inside that arena was electric. And I do think to a certain extent that the Jazz, they're going to understand um, how pivotal of a moment this is for them because, look, Donovan Mitchell's future with the Jazz is kind of up in the future right now, or is kind of up in the air at this current moment in time. Don't really know if he's going to stay if they get bounced out of the first round. And I think everybody on the team is going to rally around Donovan, and I think they're going to give them the best performance possible but I just don't think it's going to be enough. I I think the way that Dallas, the way that they've played this series from beginning to end, I think it's been phenomenal. Uh, Even though the the Jazz have given them a very good show throughout the first five games of the series, I do think that Dallas is going to find a way to be able to close out the series in Salt Lake City. It's going to be a very close game as far as I'm concerned. I I don't see this game uh, being more than a five-point win, whether it's either team that wins. But I do think that Dallas is going to be the team that moves on to the second round. And then Utah's going to be looking at the mirror, another first round exit. And I know that's definitely going to, I know the uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, rumors are definitely going to start circulating if that actually happens uh, going into game six. But all in all, I think Dallas is the better team. And I think they take this game six and move on to the second round. That's just how I see it. Listen, we've, we've, we've had our moments where you look at this team and you say, damn, Utah is just absolutely disgusting. And then you have those games, like last game in Game 5, where Dallas was just clearly the better team. And it was just kind of crazy how we were able to lock up and kind of make their lives a living hell from behind the arc and just straight up from the field. But uh, like you said, I think Utah's going to come a little bit more prepared. I know for a fact that they have a salty taste left in their mouth from how bad we embarrassed them in Dallas. And I know for... A fact that, you know, as limited as Donovan Mitchell will be, he will still do his best to be efficient from the field. And if that means that he is just going to play not be a decoy or, you know, find ways to penetrate and kick out kind of like Luka does, 
I think that uh, that narrative of him wanting to leave is going to drift away. I mean, for a man to be in a predicament where Utah is over the last couple of years, and they've had a four record, top five record over the last, what, three or four seasons since Donovan's been in the league. Mm -hmm. It's not that he wants to leave. I think it's just the cast around him. It's just not played up to expectations. Mike Conley's been pretty irrelevant. Rudy Gobert hasn't really done much in this playoff series. Obviously, at the end of the day, you're looking at Jordan Clarkson, and he's doing everything he can with his limited minutes. Royce O'Neal is completely ineffective. So Bogdan the Jazz really have to cold. Yeah, exactly. But still averaging somewhere around 30 points. So it's like he might not be getting shots efficiently, but he can't say, or you know, Utah fans can't say, he's not doing everything he physically can because other people aren't knocking down those shots. So overall, I mean, I, I, I get where the frustration is with the Utah fans, but sound kind of like Kyle said, I think Donovan Mitchell's future hangs in the balance of this series ridiculously. And um, don't be surprised if Utah falls, if Donovan Mitchell demands a trade this year, because there's no reason why you have the number one record last year and you fall. Then this year you have kind of like a top three record most of the year, and then you fall all the way down to five. It's, and then you get eliminated in the first round again. It's become a bad habit, and I think that Utah really needs to look back and say, what can we do to make this team better while Donovan is still in his prime? Yeah, and I think to me, like the way that I see the Jazz is that they clearly don't have a second shooter to go alongside Donovan. Because, I mean, the way that I see it is really when you look at Utah, like their one-two combination is mostly, it's primarily focused around Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Now, Rudy Gobert, he is always somebody that's in like the top two, top three discussion as far as defensive player of the year. Like the guy is able to effectively rebound the ball. He's able to swat shots on a consistent basis. It's just whatever they have as far as the chemistry goes, it's not leading to playoff success. In the regular season, they're fine. I don't think anybody's really discrediting what they're doing throughout the regular season. It's just when you know, the pressure's on in these playoff series. They just haven't been able to capitalize and be able to be a top-flight team in the Western Conference in the playoffs. They've shown it in the regular season, last year specifically. But, look, I mean, this is where really, like, the separation starts to show as far as Utah. Like, Utah's a very good team. But if you're looking at Dallas, Dallas is still relatively a young team. And if they're already kind of catapulting the Jazz, despite the fact that the Jazz have a great uh, centerpiece in Donovan Mitchell, they have another great piece in Rudy Gobert, and they have decent role players to work with. I mean, Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson's always in the sixth-man-of-the-year discussion because what if, what he's able to do off the bench. I mean, the guy can drop 30, even freaking 40 points sometimes when he's knocking down his shots. It's just there. There's just some role players, I think, that Utah is missing where they're just not stepping up in the moment to be able to get them over the hump, to get them not only to the second round of the playoffs, but to get them into possibly a Western Conference final situation. I do think that the, the Jazz are a good team. It's just, they just don't know how to take that next step to be able to get into those those elite situations in the playoffs in the Western Conference. And I mean, it's the Western Conference. The Western Conference has always been stacked. Uh, it remains that way to this day. But, you know, it, Donovan's not going to be around there forever if they keep losing in the first round. It's not going to happen. So it's really indicative, I think, on the front office for Utah to really get it together this offseason because they're going to feel the pressure 
of Donovan possibly leaving. If that does happen, Utah is definitely going to find themselves in a situation where they're going to take a major step back next year um, if they don't win this series um, against the Mavericks. And it's not looking good right now. But, you know, we just have to see how it plays out. I, I, it's like I said, I do believe that game six is going to be a very competitive game. I don't see either team winning more than five points. If Granted, I did pick the Mavs to win, but if the Jazz were to win, I don't think it's going to be more than five points. But it's like I said, I think that atmosphere in that arena is going to be absolutely electric going into game six. You can even attest to that. Those games in Utah, they were very exciting. To it's watch. it's it's rough. Yeah, yeah. As a Mavs fan, it's rough. It gets loud quickly. Obviously, the the the, the Jazz feed off of it like most teams do at home. But for whatever reason, man, it's, it's different in Utah. That those 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 fans are crazy. Yeah, and, and they're not afraid to show it. So they're no. they'll be ready to go for Game Six. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But you know, the way that I see it, I think Dallas is, is going to close it out and then move on to the second round. Um. Now, with that said, we're going to transition to our next game, and that is going to be the uh, Philadelphia 76ers going up against the Toronto Raptors. Now, Kevin's going to get some enjoyment out of this one because he hates Philly. He hates the 76ers with a passion. And Philly's been in a little bit of trouble at this current moment in time. Uh, they were currently, well, I, I shouldn't say currently. They were up 3-0 in the series against Toronto, but Toronto has won the last two games. So the series stands at 3-2 in favor of Philly. However, this series is going back to Toronto for Game 6, and there's a very real chance that Toronto could get this Game 6 victory and force a Game 7 against the 76ers, which would be damn near unbelievable because the Sixers really were head and shoulders above Toronto going into this series, but Toronto has stayed strong. They've been resilient, and these guys are going to definitely give Philly something to work with going into game six. So this is definitely going to be an interesting game no matter how it plays out, but it's definitely going to be a good one as far as I'm concerned. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Sixers going up against the Raptors in game six, do you think that the Raptors can force a game seven against Philly? I do. I think history repeats itself. Um, I think Philly had their opportunity to try to close this out in game four. Um, they let Toronto slip away. Obviously, Game 5 got away from them early, and Toronto maintained that lead for the majority of the game. Um, James Harden wasn't efficient. Tyrese Maxey wasn't efficient. Obviously, you know, Joel Embiid, 7-15, to 15, just a shy under 50%, but again, not a MVP-caliber evening. Um, you kind of look down that roster, and you say, you know, who came in that was able to contribute? And that's nobody. I mean, for, for goodness sake, I mean, as per usual, James Harden finds himself in the middle of scrutiny. He has five turnovers with a negative 10 plus minus. Joel Embiid, MVP candidate, 0 for 4 from the three-point line. He had four turnovers. He had five fouls, negative 4 plus minus with 20 points. So the team itself is putting up offense. It's just not doing it efficiently. I mean, if we go down that line continuously for the starting lineup, Tobias Harris, 6 of 16. Danny Green, not known for his offense later now in his career. He was 5 of 10. He hit 4 of 9 from the three-point line. But he was negative 14 plus minus. You know, you look at their bench, you know, one of four, one of two, one of six. You know, Matisse Thibel, obviously Nang. The list goes on and no one has been able to capitalize. 15 total turnovers for Philadelphia. James Harden's out here playing 40 minutes. You're telling me you only had 11 shots? What happened to James Harden, 25, 20 shots a game? I'm telling you guys, there is a difference of regular season James and postseason James because... 
dude, the narrative's in his head again. Toronto's on a roll, and they're going back home. Obviously, Doc Rivers has his statistical history of blowing leads. It doesn't bode well. Granted, I know the comparison is, well, Brooklyn got swept, so he's already doing better. He got two wins. A first-round exit is a first-round exit, no matter how embarrassing or how tough it was. So if they end up both folding, and by both I mean if Brooklyn and Philly both fold, then they both lost the trade. Ben ain't playing. Obviously, uh, KD and Kyrie weren't able to do anything against Tatum and the Celtics. And now you look at Brooklyn and say, excuse me, now you look at Philly and say, damn, it was 3-0. Are y'all really about to chalk this up and make it go to a Game 7 in Philadelphia knowing damn well every single benefiting factor is in Toronto's favor? Pascal Siakam has awoken. Obviously, Scotty Barnes and, oh, oh, what's his name? Onabu and Anobi. Anubi. And, and, and Anobi has been doing his thing. Gary Trent Jr. has been effective. I mean, not necessarily from a field goal percentage. He was 5 of 14, but they find ways to score. And Fred Van Vliet has been out, or not has been, was out last game. And I actually heard a good point. Kendrick Perkins actually, for once, made a good point. And he said, Toronto has been able to dominate since Van Fleet's exit because Toronto is able to guard more effectively because Van Fleet is a, is, a, is a nightmare of a mismatch on the defensive side of him being so short as opposed to the tall lineup that Philly runs. Now you look at it and you say, I believe the shortest guy on this team is probably somewhere along the lines of 6'4", and that's Gary Trent Jr. This is not a tiny team. Thaddeus Young obviously comes out there and he gives efficient minutes. And granted, that was only in a 60-minute span, but he comes in, has a key steal, has a couple of rebounds, a couple of passes, a couple of assists. That's another 6'8 person that comes off the bench. That's another person with starting and postseason experience. It's just you really have to pay attention to the little things in basketball like that. And obviously, you know, you don't want to see anybody hurt, but with him being out of the lineup in Fred Van Bleet, Toronto is able to run those bigger lineups to not have to switch, or should I say they're able to switch everything, and they're able to actually guard each and every position that Philly throws at them. So, listen, I I said that I hate Philly. My girl's family is a big Philadelphia fan. I just don't like James Harden. And I want people to see that this Harden move that everybody was so high about, that everybody was so happy about, didn't pan out to close the regular season, and sure as shit isn't panning out in the postseason. Kevin, I'm going to take the opposite route on this one. I am going to take Philly in this one. Um, I know it's, um, I think it's a little prisoner of the moment to kind of really hype, to get on the train about, you know, Philly potentially blowing this series after being up 3-0, especially with the the narratives about Doc Rivers blowing series leads left and right, like, like it's like it's out of style, bro. But I do think that despite the fact that Philly's been struggling the last two games, I think they make adjustments, and I do believe that they win game six and advance to the second round. And here's why. So the one thing that you mentioned about Toronto, I think, is fair as far as their, their matchups are concerned. They, they're they able to guard one through five better because they just have the physical size to be, actual, to be a focal uh, defensive presence against whatever Philly's been able to run with. Now, I will say this, though, about Philly is that I do think that they're going to have to make some adjustments to open up some space. And when you look at the last game, specifically in game five, Philly had a terrible game shooting. And that was despite the fact that they were home. They shot 38% from the field altogether. And behind the three-point line, they shot 27%. If you look at Toronto in game five, Toronto shot 51% 
from the field. And Toronto was the away team. The fact that Toronto was able to go on the road and play so effectively and so smoothly against Philly in that Game 5 situation, I give Toronto a lot of credit. And they were able to maintain a sizable lead throughout the entire game. There'd be points in time where Philly may get it to like a five or six point deficit, but then Toronto would knock down a shot or two in a row and extend that lead back to double digits. And Philly just couldn't be able to match that. So I think the one thing that we're going to have to look from Philly going into game six is just being able to create space for their shooters. James Harden has to step up. You know, James was a huge piece that they acquired from that trade from Brooklyn halfway through the season and he's got to be able to step up because he's been inconsistent to say the least throughout this playoff series. Joel has been dealing with his own injuries that he's battling through. And I do think that Joel, to a certain extent, I think he's going to understand the, um, the magnitude associated with this game six. I do think that he's going to be able to play extremely well against Toronto, despite the fact that Toronto has been playing good against him defensively the last couple of games. And the one thing that I'm going to have to focus with Philly here is that they have to stop turning the ball over. You look at the last game that they played against Toronto, they had 15 turnovers compared to Toronto's eight. Almost a two-to-one advantage in favor of Toronto. I do think that if Philly plays smart, they play within themselves, they don't let the game overwhelm them. They don't let Toronto get on these huge runs and then they get in these massive holes against the Raptors. I do think that despite the fact that Toronto's going to be very loud. It's going to be a very hostile environment for Philly to work with in game six. I think they're going to be able to weather the storm. They're going to be able to force some turnovers from Toronto, be able to force Toronto into some contested shots. And I do think that that Toronto is going to fall a little bit short in that regard. And I think that's where Philly is going to be able to take over and win this game. Not in a substantial way, not like they're going to win by 10 or 15 points on the road in game six and move on to the second round that way. But I do think that Philly is going to win in a close battle. I think this is going to be, I'm going to say like Philly's going to win this one in between like three to seven points. But I do think that when you combine all those factors of getting better space for their shooters, making sure that they're playing solid defense and limiting their turnovers, I think that'll be a recipe for success for Philly going into game six. And I think that's the reason why, or those are the reasons why I see Philly moving on to the second round. It's going to be interesting no matter what. We all know that there's pressure on both sides. We all know for a fact that Toronto is a better team than what they alluded to the first two games. We understand that, you know, Scotty Barnes ended up getting hurt even though he won Rookie of the Year this year. By the way, congratulations. First Raptor to do it since, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Vince Carter back in 96. So kudos to him. Um, This roster shows a lot of gut, a lot of grit, a lot of toughness for going down 3-0 and being this competitive to really take advantage and, and, and steal two games realistically. And now they're on their home floor with an opportunity to tie it and completely shift the momentum. And, you know, who's, who's to say it already hasn't completely shifted with their confidence? Because, Kyle, we say it every year. It takes a run, and a team can go with it. It takes a little bit of confidence, a couple of shots to go in, and before you know it, that's, that's the spark that a team needs to make a, a consistent run in the postseason. And... um we all know that Philly has had their issues towards the end of the year, and now that we know that James Harden and Joel Embiid are having some trouble carrying the carrying the load as of late, uh, this could provide or prove to be a pretty big problem. So all I'm saying is, regardless of what happens, Toronto fought back. I think that Philly will end up folding, at least in Game 6. Kyle believes that Philly will get it together. 
But this series ended up being a lot better than what we thought. I mean, this was the first series to go 2-0, and we thought it was over, like, immediately. Like, this time last week, we were talking about it being 2-0 and, and Philly going for the sweep. When it went 3-0, I mean, it was over. I, like, Kevin and I basically kind of, like, wrapped the series up. Like, there, there wasn't that much left to expect. Maybe Toronto would get a game four just to kind of save face. But that would be it. Like, you know, Philly would wrap this up at game five. But got to give Toronto credit for being able to go on the road and give Philly hell the entire game. I mean, Kev, if I remember correctly, I think the Sixers only scored like 14 or 15 points in the second quarter. I mean, they had Philly in shambles. And, and despite whatever Philly uh, made with their adjustments, the, the Philly would go on these small little runs in the second half. Toronto was able to counter it every single time with some big shots. And if Toronto could be able to do that going into game six, I'm telling you right now, the momentum's all on their back. Like, I mean, it, literally, it's like they'll have a tailwind going into game seven, and all the pressure's going to be on Philly. If the pressure's already on Philly right now. I, I know, and that's why I'm kind of picking them for game six because I think they realize, like, you can't let this slip. You're up 3-0. This series has probably gone on far farther than what we were comfortable with in the first place. It's like, let's wrap this up, take this into the second round, and let's kind of like move on and, and get past the series because, man, if Philly's, Philly's not careful, if Toronto is able to push this series to seven games, even if Philly were to win this series in, in game seven, that does not bode for, well for them moving forward because, I, I mean, you know, Philly could have wrapped this up in five games and they could have had the next week off had they won game five. Now they're going to be on limited rest if they don't win this game. And they'll be even on more limited rest if they do happen to win game seven going into the second round. Or worst case scenario, they end up in Cancun blowing a 3-0 lead against Toronto, which nobody expected. So Doc Rivers will 100% be fired if they lose that. 100%. And that's the thing is like, it just... I don't know, like, the NBA gods just have this vendetta against Doc Rivers for some reason. Just cannot be able to close out these these series-clinching games, no matter if it was in Boston, no matter if it was with the Clippers, and now it's kind of rearing its ugly head in Philly. He hasn't even been there that long. So No, I think, what, this is this is his third, fourth year? No, not yeah. even. It's like his second third or third year? year. Second or third year. Third. It's got to be his third. So... All in all, a lot of pressure on Philly uh, in this game six, but I do think that they'll be able to get this one. So, granted, it's my pick. I'm, you know, that's who I'm going with. But, bro, series goes to seven games. Those Philly fans are going to be sweating. They're going to be sweating that entire game. And then, I mean, listen, if Philly were to lose a game seven, I mean, bro, the amount of the amount of fun you're gonna have with that segment, I I, I can always. Y'all better be ready, man. I'm telling you, like how comforted Knicks, I will come for the city of Philadelphia I, in I, every direction. You know the thing is, I I'm kind of disappointed in myself that I let the the regular season end without doing uh doing some sort of homage to the Knicks fans and uh, how their season went because um yeah I don't know how you go from like a top four seed in the Eastern Conference um. Last season, and you know, basically sitting at like the bottom of the Eastern Conference. I mean, a lot of I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into it. 
I'm just saying, I, I think I left Nick fans off the hook, and uh, that's on me. I'll let that one slip, bro. That, I got to be better than that. But uh, It's okay. Know, make, make, make a segment at some point, somewhere just, just, over the weekend. Just know that that New York, Nick, uh, that New York pack was smoked. Just, just you know, just got to let you know about that. So uh, I had fun with it. It's just great that you just didn't see it live. But, you know, there will always be next year, so. We'll be back. We'll be back. Well, this listen. This whole thing is going to come back full circle. So, trust me. Going into next year, I'm not going to let that one slip. But um, <laughs> with that said, uh, we're going to transition into our next game, and that is going to feature the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, this series has been phenomenal. I mean, both of these teams have been playing great basketball. It's been great to watch. It's just extremely competitive uh, with both teams. Um, I will say this. Even though that Minnesota is a seven seed, they are not playing like one. They have shown that they are fully capable of going toe to toe with the Grizzlies in this series and giving Memphis everything that they can handle, despite the fact that Memphis is up three two in this series. Uh, game five was phenomenal, but once again, the Timberwolves found a way to lose these large leads that they had in the early parts of the game, and they let it slip in the fourth quarter. It's already happened to them once in one of the games previously where they gave up over two 20-point leads. I believe that was game three. They let that happen. Yeah. I, I believe that that was the game specifically. Yep. And then to allow another double-digit lead to go by the wayside in, in game five, in a pivotal game five. I know that definitely doesn't look well or doesn't reflect well on Minnesota, but you got to give Memphis credit. Uh, Memphis has really been resilient in some of these games. Uh, they haven't given up, and they've knocked down some big critical shots and have led these huge, massive runs on these huge comebacks that have gotten them some big wins in this first round. This game six in uh, Minneapolis is going to be extremely exciting, and I can't wait for it because I watched that game five, and that game five was phenomenal. for me. Now, with that said, Kev, I got to kick this one to you. Going into game six with the Timberwolves going up against the Grizzlies, uh, which team do you favor and why? So it's it's tough for me, man. Every time I want to pick Minnesota, they go and they choke. Every time I want to go and pick Memphis, Minnesota actually comes out of nowhere and just kind of surprises the world. Um, I've said it again. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, I, I'm going to take Memphis to close this one out just because of the, the lack of an appearance of D'Angelo Russell. I don't know if Minnesota is going to look into this in the offseason, but the lack of consistency from him, the lack of – dominance from him i mean for, for god's sakes and all intents and purposes aside from i think maybe one game where d'angelo had 20 plus uh, 20 plus points patrick beverly has outplayed d'angelo russell pat bev is averaging i believe more points i believe pat bev is doing more on the defensive end which is what he was brought to minnesota for uh and when you have patrick beverly playing better than you that's when you need to start being concerned i mean dude it, it's getting to the point now where if you're just simply relying on Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, it clearly isn't enough because they need to have another option, another third or a third hand in the pot to really go out there and kind of keep these leads alive uh, and make sure that they don't get out of hand. Obviously, there's no answer for John Morant. There's no answer for Desmond Bain, although they're not shooting that well from the field. I'll get into that in just a second. Um, Minnesota showed that they have the potential to be a better team. They just need that help, man. They need that third option because D'Angelo Russell scoring 12 points, 10 points, and 11 points in three out of the last five games is just embarrassing. Um, he was brought to Minnesota to be that second fiddle before Anthony Edwards was drafted, and it just has not played out due to injury and poor performance. 
So once again, I'm just simply going to say that I think that Memphis capitalizes and they take over in game six. Um, let's just look at this box score really quick. Ja leads the way with 30. Bain goes for 25. You have Blake Carter. or Br- Is it Blake Carter or Brandon Carter? I always forget his name. It's Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark. I am just atrocious today. Uh, Brandon Clark goes out there and has another amazing game playing 37 minutes. He goes for 15 rebounds, 21 points. Just an incredible spark off of the bench, shooting 9 of 14 from the field, beyond, beyond efficient, and obviously having an impact in the game as a unit. And then you go out there and you put Jaron Jackson Jr. with 12 points and his um, his five rebounds. I believe he actually left the game with an injury because he only played 18 minutes, correct? He fouled out. He fouled out. He fouled out in 18 minutes? He only played 18 minutes, but he fouled out. I got that completely wrong. I could have swore. I'm, I'm, I didn't see a lot of this game. I just saw Jaron Jackson Jr. left with 18 minutes to go. I didn't know it because he fouled out. Regardless... Um, despite his poor performance, obviously someone was able to step up, and that shows another reason why I believe Memphis is a better team. The next man up is just a, a, a normal occurrence for this team. I mean, who the hell is Brandon Clark? <laughs> this guy came out of left field, and he was able to just contribute to a big win. John Moran, obviously the MVP candidate for Memphis, was able to lead them to a, a, a game-winning uh, buzzer beater. So. Minnesota's got a lot of different holes poked in their uh, in their repertoire right now. They just aren't getting it done enough for me, and I just think that Memphis is – they're just poised, man. They're ready to go. I think they're a better team, and I think that they're going to capitalize and uh, go on and, and win game six. Well, when I look at this game six, to me it's dependent on really two things. It, it depends on whether or not that the entire Grizzlies unit shows up or it's – Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns just show out and they just take that game over for Minnesota. For me, I'm more hesitant to pick uh, the Timberwolves just because I don't think that Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns are going to go gangbusters in game six. So I'm picking just the overall unit that the Grizzlies have and I'm taking uh, Memphis in game six and they'll advance to the second round. And here's why. So when I look at that game five specifically, Kevin, to focus in on Brandon Clark for a second, I know that John Morant led the way with 30 points. Brandon Clark was probably the most pivotal player for Memphis in Game 5 single-handedly. There were multiple plays where he just took the game over. And not by scoring. That, that, that would be the result. It would be him getting rebounds. And not just defensive rebounds, but offensive rebounds on a consistent basis. There was a point in time where Memphis was kind of clawing their way back in Game 5. And despite the fact that they were down double digits uh, late in the game, whenever Memphis missed a shot, Brandon Clark would be able to get these offensive rebounds and get these putbacks and be able to score and keep Memphis alive in these late game runs. And that's exactly what happened in game five. So I know a lot of attention is focused on John Morant and deservedly so. I mean, the guy was an MVP candidate for like three quarters of the year before he got hurt. But in Game 5 specifically, man, Brandon Clark showed out. Uh, not only that, I thought Desmond Bain was huge in that second half for them. He was knocking down some critical shots. And all in all, Memphis, they're still a relatively young team, but they were able to weather the storm from Minnesota very well in Game 5 because it really looked like Minnesota had Memphis on the run because 
Minnesota held some pretty sizable leads throughout most of this game. And I was kind of flipping back and forth between um, the Grizzlies game and there were some other games going on at the same time. And it always seemed like Minnesota was always up seven, eight, nine points, even 10 points at some points. And they just couldn't be, Memphis just couldn't be able to close it out. But that fourth quarter was the difference maker for Memphis once again. And I mean, when you look at the fourth quarter specifically in game five, 37 to 24, an advantage of Memphis. It's just indicative of Memphis's grit. They're just resilient. And despite the fact that they're young, they don't know, they don't know uh, giving up. They just find ways to knock down shots, keep themselves in it, and, and give themselves a chance. And I think that's going to be a huge factor going into game six because I'll, I'll say it here Minnesota, I think when it comes to losing these large leads, I think it's in their heads. Because they just can't handle these massive runs that Memphis goes on. I mean, for God's sakes, I think it was in game three. Minnesota gave up like a 50 to 16 run when Minnesota had a plus 20 point lead. Like, you already had that happen once earlier in the series. And then you have kind of a similar situation take place in game five. We are giving up a double digit lead on the road in a pivotal game five. That is devastating. Now, I do think that Minnesota uh, can win this game six. I do believe that Minnesota, despite the fact that they are a seventh seed, they've shown me enough that they could go toe-to-toe and win some games against the Grizzlies. But until that they can prove that they could actually hold a sizable lead and stave off whatever sort of comeback that Memphis can come up with, I'm just not really favoring them to win this game six. I just don't think that they're going to be able to get over the fact that they got some large leads taken away from them because they just couldn't knock down shots and Memphis took advantage of it. So I think when it's all said and done, I think Memphis advances. I think they win this one in a relatively close fashion, probably like a five or six point game when it's all said and done. And I just like what Memphis has as a unit compared to Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony uh, Edwards being able to basically put the entire team on their back and, and hope for the best. So I just like what Memphis has as a unit more than what Minnesota has with really two players. And I think when it's all said and done, Memphis goes on to the second round. That's just how I see it. I just can't believe this series went the way that it did. I don't think anybody saw Minnesota putting up this much of a fight. Um, I didn't think anybody saw Anthony Edwards performing at the level that he is performing at, at this young age. And, you know, we all knew that Carl Anthony Towns is, is one of the better players in the league, and we know that he's young. Uh, but, you know, in and of his own right, he is probably one of the vets on that team outside of Pat Bev and D'Angelo Russell. So I expect them to be back in the postseason. I just do think that it's a little too soon to kind of rely on two people like you just said. And uh, I'm going to just continue to harp on it, man. Where is D'Lo? Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, D'Angelo Russell's been a decent player throughout his NBA career. He's had some highs, he's had some lows, but this is definitely one of those lows right now where, you know, it's like you said, he, he's a veteran presence on this team, but he's just not knocking down shots consistently. And that's huge. I mean, some of these games that Minnesota has lost, I mean, these have been like one or two point games. And, you know, with Minnesota, I know that they are still relatively young, but, but when it comes to these large leads that they have, you need veterans to be able to 
take some pressure off of these young guys and be able to make sure that you maintain that these leads, especially against a very young and unforgiving team, the Grizzlies. Despite the fact that the Grizzlies have been down multiple times by double digits in this series, it hasn't slowed them down whatsoever. To me, Memphis is just a more mentally tougher team because no matter what the challenges are and whatever obstacles they face, they've shown me that they can overcome it. And I think what happens is, is that Minnesota gets too complacent. They start missing shots and Memphis just takes over and it's an avalanche. It's basically a domino effect. And man, when you're in that situation where you're up by 20 points, but you feel it slipping away, man, it's a chain reaction. It's like an avalanche. And I, I mean, it really showed in one of those early, earlier games um, earlier on in the series when give up a 50 to 16 run. 50 to 16 at home. I think it was, what was it, 21 straight? Then no timeout was called? Twenty one, Yeah, 21 points. 21 points in a row. 21 0 run. And it was like, you can't let that happen. And, and to a certain extent, that, that's coaching as well. You, oh yeah, I mean, you, you gotta you gotta at least call a timeout to just stop the momentum from going in Memphis's favor that much. But your players gotta knock down shots, and if they're not knocking down shots, it makes it even worse. So, you know, I I do agree with you. You know, Minnesota is still a very young team. I do believe that they will be in the playoffs once again uh, next season, but they're gonna look back at this series and, and they're gonna say we could have had this one. Like, legitimately, they could have had this series. And I think if you're Memphis, Memphis is going to have to make some adjustments. Because Memphis was, they're the two seed. And this series should not be as difficult for them as it has been. So I do think that they're going to have to make some adjustments going into the second round if they win game six. But, I mean, to be honest with you, even though that I did pick Memphis to win this game, I don't mind if Minnesota wins this one. Oh no! no, I I would love it because it gives me more basketball. Game sevens are fun. Uh, They're extremely. uh, I mean, the amount of pressure situations that you're going to deal with—they're extremely exciting. And and the the nice thing is, I'm not a fan of either team, as far as like just like when it comes to being a fan. I'm a fan of like just good playoff basketball, but I have no problem with them running it back for a game seven. That'd be fine by me. I I I would love it. 100%. 100%. I'm definitely not going to shy away from a game seven. Are you crazy? That's something that's must see television every time. Exactly. So, all in all, uh, we got some good games uh, for tomorrow or for Thursday um, when you guys actually hear this. But um, we're going to transition to a team that is out of the playoffs, and that is the Brooklyn Nets. And the Brooklyn Nets um, say that their season has been a failure as an understatement. Abject failure is probably a better way to describe it. Um, getting swept by the Boston Celtics is, by any metric, just out, flat out embarrassing. And that's despite the fact that when you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and you have some decent role players to work with, like Patty Mills, Bruce Brown, Goran Dragic, Andre Drummond, it didn't matter. Boston spanked the, Cel- uh, spanked the Nets in four games and probably is one of the most surprising playoff results in the first round that I've seen in, in quite some time. And really the point that we're trying to get to is what is going to happen with Brooklyn this off season. There could potentially be some shifting pieces uh, going into this off season for the Nets. Um, there's been some rumors about trade, uh, 
some trade rumors about Ben Simmons. Uh, maybe Kyrie Irving's on the move. Uh, it's really early to tell at this point, but the rumors are definitely going to be circulating around Brooklyn this offseason uh, based on their poor playoff performance. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Brooklyn Nets out of the playoffs and then officially in the offseason, where do you think Brooklyn goes from here in the future? Dude, I've been saying it since it happened. I think this has got to get blown up. Steve Nash, to me, he's got to go. Kyrie Irving has already been a little bit more of a distraction than a help. We all know that when New York cleared the vaccine mandate that he was able to pop off. But outside of game one where he just completely took over, even though that was in a loss, he was not able to bounce back. Now, I don't know if that was a distraction from Boston fans. I don't know if it was the narrative of, you know, they needed to win without James Harden. Nevertheless, um, Kevin Durant also did not play up to snuff. Obviously, you look at the rest of the team, and Kyle had said multiple times, Bruce Brown was one of the better players in this series, at least from a consistency standpoint. Uh, Blake Griffin barely played. LaMarcus Aldridge barely played, if anything. Uh, Andre Drummond was like a non-factor here. Goran Dragic was probably one of the best players to come off the bench on this team because Patty Mills couldn't get into a consistent rhythm. Uh, it just looks like a lot of these players and everything that they had gone through this season was for naught. Um, it just... It's funny because the narrative that continues to hover over this game, or should I say this series, has been KD can't win without Steph, Kyrie just can't win without LeBron James. And, you know, every year it has proven to be the same thing over and over, whether it's a first, a second-round exit. I get it last year. They had some injuries to deal with. This year they had their own injuries and Kyrie's vaccine stuff. But when you look at this and you see every single game, it was a single-point digit lead Every sing- or a single point victory or loss every single game for Brooklyn. Game one, 115-114. Obviously, you know, Jason Tatum gets that spinning layup and at the last second. Can't do nothing about it. You move on. Jalen Brown absolutely pops off. He goes off for a 114-107 victory when Brooklyn was up. Game three, 109-103. Game four, 116-112. It's not like any of these games were blowouts, but again, with KD being inefficient, Kyrie being kind of in his own head, and the rest of the team not necessarily being able to pick up the slack of those two superstars taking the volume of shots that they did. Um, it wasn't going to be possible. Flipping the narrative, and you go and you look, Boston was able to do everything they needed to. Jason Tatum was able to freaking drop 30 points per game, basically, in all four. Uh, Marcus Smart showed why he was the defensive player of the year. Jalen Brown shook that narrative of not being the Batman to Jason's Robin, and I felt that he, in some cases, kind of took over, especially in Game Two when he kind of had that fourth, when he had that second half, and he just completely dominated. Um, I don't know, man. Boston might fuck around and 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 be that competition to go into the finals out of the Eastern Conference. You know, hopefully meet up with Milwaukee. But dude, Boston was no scrub. Boston showed why they were the number one defensive rated team in the entire NBA all season long, or should I say, in the second half of the season. Um, they really found a formula to stop KD, the best player in the world, one of the best players in the world. They found a way to really struggle and kind of swarm him and force him to have a multitude of turnovers. I believe in four games he had 30 or something turnovers, which is nuts and very uncharacteristic. He was shooting under 40% from the field. Kudos to Boston, but when you look at it from a Brooklyn standpoint, this is a failure. They were brought together to win the championship. They were the media favorite this year, especially after they had gotten rid of, uh, or excuse me, after they had acquired James Harden. You thought that with everything they had assembled over there, we thought it was going to be, it was going to happen. We thought it was going to be incredible. James Harden ended up going to Philly, and then you know, Brooklyn's the only team that gets swept out of the first round. 
they got a lot of things to look at. They got a lot of things to figure out, especially front office wise, especially with Nash. We've heard a lot of criticism about, you know, him not being able to coach or, you know, him not being able to coach superstars like this at this magnitude. But regardless, something's got to change in Brooklyn. And whether that's the personnel, whether that's the coaching staff or both, I think that their championship window is uh, is closing fast. And this is just showing that the two of these players can't do it alone. It's kind of interesting because, I mean, Kevin, you kind of hit on the point about Brooklyn really being like this top flight team that had championship aspirations this year. And then it just literally comes to a crashing halt in the first four games of the first round. I mean, Boston, don't get me wrong, like they're a very good team. Probably one of the most underrated teams in the playoffs just because of how good their defense is. But if you're Brooklyn, you couldn't have gotten a you could you couldn't have gotten a game from Boston. Granted, I know that the, there were some some close results in this series, but man, if you're Brooklyn going into this offseason, this is a nightmare scenario because the way that I see it is you know, what's going to happen with, you know, Katie and Kyrie. Now, I do think that Kevin Durant's not going anywhere. I think he's going to be a mainstay for Brooklyn for at least the next couple of years. Now, when it comes to Kyrie, Kyrie might be in a little bit of a different situation because even though that I agreed with what Kyrie was saying about the whole COVID stance that he had about what was going on in New York City, it, it doesn't take away the fact that he missed a large portion of the year because he wasn't able to play home games. Now, despite the fact that he missed those home games, he was extremely viable in those away games during the regular season. And in the playoffs, man, he just wasn't consistent enough. Now, you could say that Boston played great defense against him. Um, they played great defense against Kevin Durant. But it's like, I mean, this is Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is one of the best players in the NBA, has handles unlike anybody that we've seen in NBA history. And he just wasn't able to get into a rhythm in any way, shape, or form throughout this series. And when I look at this roster from beginning to end, or from top to bottom, it's just not that strong outside of KD and Kyrie. It just because you just have a revolving door of role players that will have like these little flash moments here and there, but there's nothing consistent to work with. And I understand that one of the role players in Joe Harris, now Joe Harris is, is a solid three-point shooter. And granted, I know that his presence was missed when he uh, was out for the rest of the season with an injury. But even if Joe Harris was in this lineup, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it would have made that much of a difference uh, for Brooklyn just because the Celtics defense overall, I just thought was too strong. Now, there's one person that we have to mention, and that is Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons was traded halfway through the season. And I understand that Brooklyn was giving him some time just to kind of ramp up the speed. Um, he was dealing with a, a lingering back issue as well. But I'm pretty certain that Brooklyn was expecting something from Ben as far as being on the court when the playoffs came around in this first round matchup against the Celtics. And when he didn't play in any of the games, whether it was game one, two, three, or four, that leaves Brooklyn very vulnerable just because, look, if Ben was on the court, Ben could have at least provided some sort of a defensive presence on that side of the ball for Brooklyn. And in some of these games, had they gotten a possession or two in their favor, that could have made a difference. And, and granted, you know, Ben doesn't have much of an offensive presence just because he's just afraid to take jump shots. He's just not that good of a shooter overall. 
his defensive presence cannot be slept on. I mean, he was in the top three, top four players in the NBA, not this season, but last season when it came to a defensive player of the year. I'm never, I'm never going to slack on Ben Simmons' ability to play defense. And that could have been a huge factor for Brooklyn overall this past series had he been able to play some games. There could be a chance that Brooklyn would still be playing if, if Ben was actually out there on the court. But it didn't work out, and you know Brooklyn's looking at this offseason. They're in a very precarious situation. Um, I'm not as giddy on the fact that they're just going to blow this thing up and they're going to start from scratch. Um, but there's definitely going to have to be some adjustments made here. And and really, I think one thing is, um, is the coaching situation with Steve Nash. I think Steve Nash got humbled here because, I mean, let's face it, leading this group of players that, that Brooklyn had at their disposal, when you got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and you get swept in the first round of the playoffs, that's not a good reflection on you. So I think Steve Nash's coaching abilities they got tested and they got and he basically failed as far as I'm concerned because he did not allow um his shooters to be able to knock down shots consistently and he didn't set up plays and designs to give his shooters like Kevin and Kyrie space to work with. So that's gonna have to be something that Brooklyn focuses on in the offseason. Um do they move on from Ben Simmons? Or do they move Kyrie Irving? Do they get some younger uh, role players to work with going into next year? Um I made this point about uh, the Lakers um, when it came to LeBron. And I think I'm going to make this very similar case with Brooklyn. You know, Brooklyn's kind of in a situation where a lot of these guys are rentals. They'll get these guys in for a year or two, and then they're pretty much out the door. And I think that Brooklyn's kind of in that same scenario because everybody's going to be focusing on Kevin and Kyrie. But, you know, if the role players are up to snuff, it's going to leave Brooklyn in a very precarious situation. And, their championship aspirations are definitely going to be hindered by the fact that you know, it's more than just Kevin and Kyrie. They're going to need some decent role players to work with moving forward. And as of right now, they just don't have that. As I see it right now, Brooklyn's in a very interesting spot. Do I think that they could you know, turn the tide and become a more viable team going into next year? Yeah, maybe they can... Um, not have as many injuries next year. You know, you kind of keep your fingers crossed on that. But overall, Brooklyn's got some work to do this offseason, and that is kind of an understatement. So it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out for Brooklyn this offseason. I mean, that's kind of a perfect segue just to kind of go into our next topic, which is a little on the touchy side. Um, we all know, like Kyle alluded to, the big acquisition of Ben Simmons was supposed to be a focal point and improve this roster that Brooklyn had. Now, we know that it's not necessarily an improvement when you're thinking about trading James Harden away, but in terms of what Brooklyn needed, which was more of a defensive, focalized individual, uh, someone who was able to bring the ball up and not really offensively focused in scoring the basketball, per se, but again, someone who was willing to make that decision to make that extra pass or someone who was willing to guard the best person on the other team so that that takes away pressure away from KD and Kyrie um, and, you know, have them focus a little bit more on the offensive side. Ben Simmons didn't play a single game this year, and that includes the postseason. There were rumors that he wanted to come in and return this series and then ended up calling it back because he felt that he had too much going on mentally or that he wasn't able to focus. And um, that narrative, a lot of people were giving him a hard time for. I, myself included, Kyle as well, um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode with the agenda, Jay Williams had a different 
uh, spin on it. Jay Williams spoke with someone, had a conversation about somebody in Ben's camp or close to him, in my opinion, and he is immediately coming to the defense of Ben Simmons. He is coming to the defense for his mental health that we need to apologize and that we really need to go out there and say, you know, we were wrong. He owned up and said it on TikTok and said, you know, that he mishandled the situation. He didn't really understand what was going on. And now his tune has changed. Again, Kyle and I do not have the details. We do not have the information as to who he spoke to and with what context. But when you have a straightforward individual, analyst, caster like Jay Williams, who played in the league, who was a collegiate star, come out and apologize, basically, for the things he's been saying, that leads me to believe that there is something more going on behind the scenes with Ben Simmons for him to not be on the basketball court. Now, Kyle, I'm just going to direct this towards you. With everything circling, circling Ben Simmons between this season and the offseason coming up quickly, uh, what are your thoughts on what's going on with Ben Simmons specifically? Well, I'm going to tackle this in, in two separate parts. Uh, the first part is going to be the basketball part. Um, you know, I thought when Ben Simmons came into the fold with the Brooklyn Nets, I thought that he would be a viable piece for them moving forward. Not specifically because of his offensive game, because let's just face it, his offensive capabilities are relatively limited because he's not that good of a jump shooter. Now, he's great at driving to the lane and being able to make plays that way, being able to facilitate the basketball. Like Those are some good aspects uh, when it comes to Ben Simmons' game. Um, shooting is not his forte, and shooting free throws is definitely not a strong suit of his. And on the defensive side of the ball, that's where I actually thought his biggest impact would come with Brooklyn. Because look at Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is, what, 6'8", 6'9", 6'10"? This is a big dude as far as just his overall size goes. And I thought that when Brooklyn was going up against Boston in the first round of the playoffs, even though that he missed the first two games, with the rumors circulating that he could have played in games three or four, I thought that that would have been a solid advantage for Brooklyn to work with because at least then when you have a big player like Ben Simmons, as far as his size goes, that's decent for their defensive side, uh, their defensive presence, just because he could be able to match up against Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum um, a lot more um, equally than someone like, you know, Kyrie getting matched up on a switch with either Jason or Jalen or Kevin Durant getting matched up on Jalen or Jason. It's just overall, Ben Simmons is, is a solid defensive player. I mean, he was in the defensive player of the year category, not this past season, but last year. And it was because he was able to force turnovers and just eat rebounds. And I think overall, I think that Ben Simmons is a decent player in some regards, and then in some regards, he's mediocre to subpar. So, I mean, overall, Ben is a, he's an okay player at best, just because I have to factor in the fact that he can't really shoot that well. Now, let me transition into this mental health part, because that seems to be the biggest piece when it comes to Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has faced a lot of criticism, and he's faced a lot of backlash um, based on what he's done on the court. And a lot of it is lingering from last year uh, when he was with the, with the Philadelphia 76ers. And it was because there were multiple games where Ben Simmons was scoring in single digit point totals. And that was despite the fact that Ben's getting paid essentially top dollar 
to be one of the best players, not only with Philly, but in the league to a larger extent. And when it comes to the situation with Brooklyn, even though that he wouldn't necessarily be the best player that Brooklyn has, he'd be a viable piece moving forward. I don't know what Ben Simmons is experiencing outside of basketball. But if I have to say it from what I've seen in the reports, as far as what Jay Williams said on his TikTok about something that's going on behind the scenes with Ben Simmons, um, him not playing in the games with Brooklyn in the playoffs, uh, this this past playoff series. If it's not right for Ben Simmons, I think it's time for him to step away from the game for a little bit. I'm not saying like as a permanent move, but I think it's time for him to step away and figure out what's going on and figure out these issues that seem to be playing him outside of basketball because I just don't think that his head's in the right space. And it may be because of what he's faced as far as the backlash and the criticism that he's been dealing with last year. I don't tend to think that that is the primary factor. I think this may be something um, within his family. I'm not going to speculate, but to me, if there is that big of an issue where you don't feel like you're mentally there to be able to go out and play basketball with the Nets, I would assume that there is something going on with him personally within his family. Because to me, there's there's certain levels of... There's a certain place in time where you have to put things aside to focus on what's most important. And if that's a family situation, then Ben needs to pay all the time and attention to that. Now, if it's something with him personally where he can't handle... Um, the stress that comes with being an NBA player and all the criticism that you face as an NBA player, that's entirely different. And I want to be very careful how I phrase this. When being an NBA player, I think it just comes with the territory that you're going to face criticism. You're going to face backlash from the fans constantly. Now, has Ben gotten an excessive amount of criticism? Yes. Has it been... Fair? In some cases, yes, if it's just specifically relating to his skills as a basketball player. But when it comes to attacks on his personal character, you know, that's where I draw the line. And to me, as a basketball player, some of the tendencies that he has shown are rather, you know, it shows a little bit of weakness because when you're not there to be able to be there for your teammates and your teammates are expecting you to show up and be a viable piece moving forward, it, it's not a good reflection on you. And I could speak to that, you know, granted, I'm not a professional athlete, but I played sports when I was younger. And no matter what sort of things that I was dealing with outside of sports, the field would actually be my safe haven. Like I would go there and, and essentially whatever sort of worries that I had on, whether it was a basketball court, whether it was a, a football field, a baseball field, that would essentially be like my sanctuary. I would actually feel pretty comfortable despite whatever sort of issues that I was dealing with outside of whatever sport I was playing with at the time. But obviously, that is not the situation that is going on with Ben Simmons. So if it's impacting him so much where he can't even be there on the court. 
I would tend to think that it's rather serious. Now, this could be a situation where this lingering back issue could have been um, an issue to the point where he just felt like he just wasn't ready to play and, and get over the hump of dealing with this back issue. So there's multiple ways to look at this. Um, when, when it comes to Ben Simmons, you know, there's definitely a target on his back. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's just not that good of an offensive player. He just doesn't score that much. But, you know, when it comes to these situations where the Nets are expecting Ben to be a somewhat viable piece, I imagine that his teammates were probably thinking something along the lines of that, and he's not there on the court helping them out. It's a tough look. I understand that Ben could be going through some things. I I fully understand that. But if you can't compartmentalize your mental issues and put them to the side to go out there and do your job, Ben Simmons is a basketball player. His job is to go out there and play basketball. But if it's to the point where he cannot go out there and do his job, the best thing for him to do at this current moment in time is to step away from the game, fix whatever's going on in his life, and then when he's ready, come back into the fold. It's just he has to work through whatever's going on, and hopefully he can find some some peace associated with that and return to the court. Whatever he's going through, I hope it works out uh, in his favor. But I have to say, like, I understand he may be going through some things. His job is a basketball player. And if he's not there to provide that service, it's time for him to step away from the game for a little bit. And when he's ready, come back. That's just how I see it. So, I mean, for me specifically, I'm not going to spend too much time on it personally because I don't really feel comfortable speaking on it just because someone that goes through their own form of mental health, um, I myself actively go to therapy for my own reasons, not to get personal with anybody, but for the sheer fact of I understand what it's like for a mental block to affect your life on such a scale to where you feel like personally the world has basically come to an end. Like things are kind of going on excessively in your mind and in your life to where you feel that you cannot move forward with what it is that you need to do with your life, your job, your your relationships, anything. So I get that. I cannot put myself in his shoes because I am not Ben Simmons. I'm not a multimillionaire. I'm not a famous individual. I'm not a, 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 a professional athlete. Any of the things that I know could be a number of stressful factors for someone to have, uh, any mental health uh, setbacks, whether that be the mental block that he articulated to not being the re- to being the reason why he didn't play in game four, uh, whatever Jay Williams was alluding to. Again, I'm not going to sit here and speak on something I am completely unaware of or not informed on. And I'm just going to leave it in the sense of I will agree with Kyle to the extent of if he has something going on in his life that, that is going to deter him from focusing, he needs to step away, get his mind right for himself, not for the millions of dollars that he'll be missing out on, not for the, the, the label that's going to be put on his name when he comes back and if he comes back, or God forbid, he ends up coming back too early and he's not mentally there and then he has to leave again. We have no idea what's going to happen this offseason. We don't know if Brooklyn's going to stand behind him. We don't know if he's going to get traded again. We don't know if he's going to get cut. There's a lot of different open narratives that could happen with Ben Simmons' future. But overall, I am in full support of him stepping away so that he can better himself and be in a better position to contribute to a team actively as opposed to sitting on the sideline, 
being ready, being suited or being dressed and then practicing and then not playing. And then the narrative changing within a week span, it's a lot of stuff going on. It's not making him look good. It's not doing his reputation any justice as well. But overall, if Ben's got to step back, step back, do what's best for you, big guy. I know I gave you a lot of shit um, when you were in Philly for the performance that you had last year and the comparisons between Giannis and whatnot. But if it truly, truly, truly is something with mental health, I really do wish the best for you. Again, uh, one person to another, one human being that struggles with their own demons. Um, I hope whatever's going on gets better for you. And, uh, you know, like I, like I said before, man, uh, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell people how to feel with what they got going on in their own lives. Got to respect it and hope that he ends up okay. Yeah, it's just, you know, to me, if it, it you know, whether it's a family issue, you know, I, I hope to God it's not like a substance abuse issue or anything like that. But if it's not those things, and I'm, I'm just saying, like, if it's less than that. It was kind of like what I said, you know, when I, when I would play sports, like going to those venues, no matter if I got cussed out or if I got chastised or if I was told I was trash, specifically at basketball, that was the one sport that I always, uh, I would go hot and cold, but that was the one sport where I really kind of struggled in. Um, I would find a safe haven going to those venues, being able to, you know, play football, being able to play basketball and baseball. And it was because it made me focus on something other than what was bothering me. And, and trust me, like there, everybody is dealing with their own, you know, personal problems that they have in their life. And, and sometimes, you know, sports would be like that area where I didn't have to focus on that stuff. I was focused on the here and now and trying to help my team win. And, and to me, that was the most important thing that I could do at that moment in time. And if that could get me away from whatever sort of, you know, issues that I was dealing with or negative thoughts that I had in my head, so be it. It's just, you know, to me, like I, I found it to be a very soothing place, even though like that there's a physical element of literally, you know, in football, like you're literally bashing helmets together, but it, it's, you know, being there for the guys that are around you and, and trying to do your absolute best to to win a game. And, you know, to a certain extent, you know, I don't know what Ben's going through, but it's tough. It, it's tough that, you know, you're not there for, for your teammates to be able to provide, you know, your best. And no matter what he's going through, um, it, it's tough to see that because, I mean, Ben's played basketball for pretty much what like half his life at this point probably as far as you know high school college and now as an NBA player and I've always kind of looked at you know playing that sport as a sanctuary from whatever sort of personal problems that a person goes through but if it's to the point where those issues are at like critical mass the best thing that I could tell him is step away from the game Figure out these issues, solve them. When you're ready, come back. I hope it would be next season. Um, but I don't know. And I I know that Ben's got Ben's gotten the tag of being soft many times. But if there's legitimately something going on in his personal life, point where he can't play, because it's just that big of a hindrance. Step away from the game. 
It, it, to me, it, it, it's, it's that simple. Not, not permanently, but on a temporary basis. I, I, I think that that is fair. If, you know, those issues are, 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 are that, you know, detrimental to him. So, I, I tend to be a little bit more, um, I guess, direct or straightforward when it comes to, um, when it comes to like certain mental health issues. Um, I, I, I try to do my best to be as sensitive as I can because everybody goes through things. Everybody, you know, everybody's fighting their own, their own battles every day. Um, it's just, you know, when it comes to Ben, it's a little bit different just because you know, Ben's getting paid top dollar and there's an expectation that comes along with that. Like you, you're getting paid all this money and you're, you're not doing your job, which is to provide, you know, not only for the team that you're playing for, but, but for yourself. And I hope whatever, whatever issues that he's facing, that he um, confronts them head on and, and, and finds some sort of uh positive way out of it. But, um, I mean, I can kind of go on and on with this, but I, I think I've made my point pretty. Yeah. Uh, again, everybody's got their own opinions and standstills or, you know, standing points as to, you know, what they believe on the situation. And, as long as people are open to what others have to say, it's totally okay. And again, you know, I'm not going to continue to comment on it as well. So we'll kind of just wrap it up there. I mean, Kyle, unless you have any final points or anything you really want to bring up. I mean, news did just pass within the last hour or so. Milwaukee advances to the next round, uh, beating Chicago. Unfortunately, Zach Levine and Alex Caruso were, able, were unable to play due to the fact that they contracted COVID and are in health and safety protocols. Right now, game five of the Denver and Golden State game is currently going on. Um, obviously, one win for Golden State, and that puts them into the next round as well. And uh, Nikolia, which will be a first-round exit yet again. Actually, no, he'll, he lost in the second round last year to the Suns, right? They got swept? That was the first round. Cause, no, because the Suns played the Lakers last year. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. Yeah, so. It was the second round. It was the second round. So um, at the end of the day, we got basketball going on. Nothing too surprising. I expect Golden State to win this that this game currently, and I expect them to move on. And then, like we said, you know, tomorrow also includes the Suns Pelican series game six. Only reason we didn't really talk about it was just because we had so much on the agenda for these other subtopics that we wanted to talk about. And Kyle, I, don't, I personally don't know about you, but this series has gone relatively back and forth. I hope it goes to seven. Yeah, it's just. I think really the biggest thing with the Suns is obviously losing Devin Booker um, with his hamstring issue. Um, you know, there's a very good chance that even if the Suns were to advance to the second round of the playoffs, uh, that Devin Booker wouldn't even be back for that series. Um, but I'll tell you this, you know, when it comes to the Pelicans, uh, they're they're not done yet. Um, I expect the Pelicans to go balls to the wall in this game six and give Phoenix everything that they got. And it's just whether or not that Phoenix can be able to weather the storm in New Orleans to possibly get to the second round, but it's going to be a great game. Um, I expect a very close game, but uh, I, I got the Suns advancing. That's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, no, I, I, I got the same thing. Uh, again, I do want it to go to the seventh game. I expect Brandon Ingram to have a very, very, very big game. 
Uh, CJ McCollum tends to get into these long-winded slumps. They'll have one massive game in the series or in a stretch, and then he'll kind of go up and down. Uh, his last big game was, I believe, 32 points in a play-in tournament game. Ever since then, he has shot pretty much around the 40% from the field mark and has not, excuse me, been, I got a lot of burps coming on right now. I feel old as shit. Can't really content, contain myself. Got the indigestion. Um, CJ McCollum as a unit, like I said, as a whole, has not been able to perform at a consistent level to where I believe he's going to contribute. So uh, we will see what happens overall. But again, I'm going to predict that the Pelicans find a way to take this game at home and then they send it back to Phoenix. I'd be, I mean, that'd be fun because, uh, I mean, I'm always for Game 7. So. Another Game 7. You see what I'm saying? It's got to get there first, though. That's the thing. Except for the Mavs game. Except for the Mavs game. Let's uh, let's finish the shit in six. Let me live my life. I want to be able to at least say Luka made it out the first round. Freaking heart's going to be pumping out of your chest if it goes to a Game 7, bro, for the Mavs. I just can't do it, bro. Back-to-back years of Game 7, it's just so frustrating. I mean, granted, the last two years have been against the Clippers, and, you know, obviously last year going to 7 was was tough to lose. But, man, it, I'm I'm so tired of first-round exits already. Well, I mean, I picked the Mavs, so it's got to count for something, right? I'll take it where I can get it. I ain't mad. Exactly. But, no, I think it's like Kevin said. Um, I think we're pretty much good to wrap it up here. Um, you know, once again, uh, thank you guys for tuning in, whether it was on the YouTube side or us or you guys listening to us on the audio platforms. We definitely appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, pretty much by the time that we record our next episode, most of the first round, if not all of the first round uh, playoff series will come to an end. So we'll be probably focusing on the second round of the NBA playoffs. So that should definitely be exciting. Um you know, we're pretty much just full-fledged into basketball at this current moment in time. Baseball's really only a couple weeks in, so not really too much to report at this current moment in time. But all in all, second round of the playoffs for the NBA will be uh, pretty exciting when it comes around uh, next week. Uh, Kev, I got nothing else to say. Take it on from here. All right. Well, you know, like Kyle said, come next episode. Obviously, we'll be moving into our next round of the NBA playoffs, God willing. I'll have my new audio equipment, so we're going to be moving there. Uh, the TikTok front is moving good. The YouTube shorts is kind of in a little bit of a slump on our last post. But again, you know, that comes with time. We're advancing in our social media presence, guys. We're going to continue to post here on YouTube. That's one of the most important forms of growth. So big kudos to all of you that are watching. Click that subscribe button. Click that like button and turn on notifications if you really like what we're saying so you can get updates on our videos and our posts. But uh, with all that being said, man, we really appreciate all the support. And we'll be seeing you guys again soon. Yeah. See you guys later. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. 
my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.